Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Today, we're talking about communication. I love talking about communication because it is something I didn't do well for a while because I never had great models of it. And it's something I started reading a lot about. And it's something I had some really good practice in with a couple of my relationships where the other half did not communicate as well. And I realized I need to move, uh, not move, improve my communication even more inside of those relationships because of the lack of it from the other end. So I feel pretty confident about my communication skills. I want to talk about what it looks like right here, right now with kids. So when we're thinking about how we communicate with kids, because I think that the way that we communicate with kids is so wrong. Uh, um, I just watch people constantly in education and in family systems and communities and homes just roll authority over their kids. And yes, you are their parents. And yes, you are their, uh, the adults. And also, I still think that respect begets respect. So you are the communication style, your tone, your energy, your body language, all those things that impacts their development of their self-esteem and their worthiness. If we talk down to them or we are constantly yelling at them or constantly raising their voice at them, that does not boost their self-esteem or worthiness. In fact, it does quite the opposite. So how we talk to kids determines how much we really respect them and in turn, how much they will respect us. So... Let's talk about some of those factors that really impact that. Cause it's not just like screaming language. This could be like facial expressions. What does your face say when you're sending your message? Your message might be calm, but if your face is something else, we're going to believe what your face says. Where's your eye contact? Are you focused on them? Are you looking at them? If it's culturally appropriate, or are you looking at your phone? Are you distracted? Are you looking at your computer? Give them your full attention. Are you down at their level? Like if they're young or shorter than you, like you should be down or even below, below their eye level because that's most non-threatening. If you are above their eye level looking down at them, that is extremely threatening. Like they may not say that, may they not even know that, but the internal system is like, fire up, get ready. Someone's speaking over me. I can tell that they're, they're directing me in a certain way. I mean, think about it. If you had like a, like I'm a six foot female, six foot. When I taught kindergarten, the kids were like at my mid- thigh. Like, could you imagine if you were looking at someone and you were looking at their mid thigh and you were looking up to them to talk, like to talk to them, how frightening that kind of is. I don't think I was a frightening person, but I mean, just that energetic exchange of me so high above those five and six year olds, I would always get down to their level, whether it was a happy thing or a sad thing or a frustrated thing or an angry thing. I'm getting down to their level because that's the appropriate place to talk to them at. That shows respect. And I can still reign authority if I need to without being above them. I also check my tone of voice. 
I'm getting fired up about this now. Tone of voice, full attention, facial expressions, eye contact, get below or at least at the same level, possibly use some soft touch on like the hands, the forearms, maybe the shoulders of the head, somewhere where they can see it. But maybe not because depending on which child and how they respond, they may not respond well and check your posture. Are your arms crossed? Are you kind of tilted a certain way that shows like there's resistance? Your body should be open. Your arms should be uncrossed. You should be, you know, and your body should invite them to come to the conversation, not repel them or tell them you're not, you, you're upset and you can be upset without having to close in your body. I think for me, one of the best things I've learned to do, and I'm, I, I struggle with this at times, but I try really hard to do this, is when energy goes up, whether it's with a child, a partner, or a coworker, I try really hard to stop and think to myself before I speak out loud or before I share out. Stop and think to myself. Sometimes I will even put my hand on my forehead to remind myself, stop. You're getting emotionally elevated get back into a regulated state, AKA your thinking brain, which is why you're touching the front of your head and then speak. So pause here. I want you to think about how are you doing with these different types of, let's say body language. If you're not doing well, how can you improve it? I'm going to go through them one more time. How are you doing with these? If not very good, how do you improve it? Get down to their, their level. Make eye contact if culturally appropriate. Facial expression, full attention, tone of voice, possibly soft touch, body posture. There's a good quote. It's a Chinese proverb, actually, that I really, really love. Really, really love because I would say early in life, I probably struggled with a little bit of anger, not rage like anger, just some intense anger, but um, that came from my family system. And there's a quote that goes that ties directly to that, that I really love. It says, not the fastest horse can catch a word spoken in anger. So essentially what that means, when you say something out of anger, you cannot retract it. There is nothing once it is already said that will pull it back in, nothing. So pause and stop and regulate and think before you act or speak. Okay. So let's go through some of these things. I'm going to, I'm going to briefly go through just a couple of different communication techniques, some of my favorites. And if you want to hear all of them, go back in the podcast. I, I do um, a series where I go through each of these individually. So these, I'm just going to do more of like an overview. The first one, the strategy I use is I see, I set up a problem for them to solve by using the statement I see. So for example, I have an 18 month old and I could tell him, put away your toys, time to clean up. Instead, I say something like, oh, I see books on the floor or I see books that need to go on the shelf. When I state that like that, it's solving, it's not solving, it's posing a problem for him to solve and gives him a chance to solve it. And he can, and he does. I have to give him some wait time because he's processing but I don't tell him what to do. I don't say, go put your books away because that's very authoritarian driven. I invite him to be a part of this problem solving party. <laughs> Something else I might do is give choices. I'm, I'm mindful of that because for some students giving choices drives anxiety. They don't know which one to, to pick. They pick one and they pick the wrong choice and they want the other choice. Um, but if I am going to use choices, there's one thing I'm going to make sure I do, that both choices are fair and motivating. 
I'm like, here's a good example. I 18 month old, lots of, lots of stories here. Loves the bath, loves the bath. Really hard to get him out of the bath. I could just yank him out of the bath and deal with him screaming and kicking and fighting, or I can give him a choice, but I'm going to make sure I give him two choices that are fair. So I could say, you know, give him some unfair choices. Like you can get out of the bath or I'm going to take you out of the bath. That's not fair. That's a threat. That's saying, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it for you. Not a choice, not at all a choice and not effective at all. Or I could say something like, do you want to bring, we often get baths with um, a glow stick or two because it's Fun fact, it's really cool to get baths with glow sticks. It's so fun to turn off the lights and have the tub lit up by glow sticks. So I will say to him, do you want to take your glow sticks out of the tub with you? Or do you want to take the dump cup, the dump cup or the whale? Um, so we have like this huge like water dumping cup that he loves. And there's a whale that sprouts out water. Um, so I might give him a choice. Which toy do you want to bring out of the tub with you? Because the toys stay in the bath toys stay in the tub. But I'm going to let you pick one to bring with you. Well, because he likes both of those things or all three of those things, then he's not thinking about not getting out of the tub. He's thinking about which of those two things do I really want? And it gets him out of the tub every time. So just an example of fair ways to give choices. Both options are fair and motivating. And something else you can do is if they're old enough, throw the third choice option back on them. So you can bring this toy or you can bring this toy, or maybe you have another toy you'd like. You can do this or you can do this, or maybe you have another idea. So I like that one a lot. Another one I'll use, oh my gosh, I probably use this one the most, humor. Adding humor to a situation. So usually I typically am the person that like makes objects talk. So that works really well for young kids. Like don't put your socks on, your socks become alive, they eat your feet. Um, your jacket, you don't put it on, your sleeves become alive and make a talk. And I'm like, oh, I'm so cold. I need a body to wrap myself around or something silly. So it could be a silly story. It could be a something talking. It could be a funny voice you use, like a robot voice or any any voice. It could be something, it could be turning something into a game. Like I remember working with preschoolers and the teacher wanted them to have these, like she called it sticky backs. She wanted their backs to be against the wall when they were out in the hallway waiting to go somewhere so that it would, she would call it a sticky back because you stick your back to the wall. Well, there were one, there was one particular child whose back was never sticky. So I made it into a game. I said to him like, oh, oh no, your back has lost your sticky. So let me help you. So I would bring him over and I would massage his back. So I told him I, I was putting peanut butter on his back. What I'm doing is giving him some deep pressure, calming him down. And then I'm, I'm this where I use humor. I go, and I help him reattach to the wall. And suddenly he's interested in staying because he's pretending he has peanut butter on his back. And I just made up this whole game or whole story about peanut butter on his back, why I helped him regulate. <laughs> okay, that's enough about humor. That was pretty straightforward. Another one to do is just use less words. This is an easy one to do. When you're making a request or a demand even, just simplify less words, one word even. Like you need to tell a child, you need to put your shoes on so we can get going. Just tell them, uh, Sam, shoes, like they'll know what you mean. So that's another strategy. Use less words, works so well because they have less to process. The next one is called giving information. Harder to use, but really effective. I use them a lot too. Um, so you're giving them information about where something goes or what's coming next or anything at all. And a prompt I might use for this is like, it would be helpful if, 
It would be helpful if you put your glass in the dishwasher. It would be helpful if you cleaned up your plate off of the kitchen table. It'd be helpful if you put the vacuum away. Or I might say something like, your vacuum belongs in the closet. The vacuum belongs in the closet. Your plate belongs in the dishwasher. Your cup belongs in the dishwasher. Laundry belongs in its basket. Like I'm giving information about where things go. I'm not telling what to do. Again, when I tell what to do, I, I bring in authority and that's where the resistance comes. Give them information. You can also write them notes if they're old enough. Uh, even young kids, you can write a note too because they'll ask you what it says, but writing notes removes the emotion of the ask or the demand. So I like writing notes a lot. And the last one that I really love is describing my strong feelings because biologically speaking, we are ingrained to have, maintain, repair, keep relationships. And when I describe my strong negative feelings, like, mm, I don't like that, or that makes me feel frustrated, or that makes me feel um, uncomfortable, then that's disrupting the relationship. And they get that. They hear that from my body language. They see it from my body language. They hear it in my tone of voice. They, they hear it in my words. And it's letting them know that they're causing me discomfort and discomfort is disrupting the relationship. And biologically, they don't want to do that. So maybe it doesn't in the moment make a change, but it will long-term. And I do this right now with the 18 month old. And like we're in that like hitting, scratching, biting phase. It's like trying to figure out the limits and what they can do and how they express themselves. So when I get scratched or hit or bitten, I will put him down and I will say, mm, I don't like that. And I turn my whole body away from him to show him like, I'm not holding you when you do that. And you know what? Instantaneously it stops. He usually starts to cry, which is good, showing remorse. And then I pick him up and I repair and he doesn't usually bite again maybe a couple of days later, but we're still working on it. So it's going to take a couple attempts, but um, incredibly effective by describing my strong feelings and kind of showing an action behind that of like removal of energy, super effective. Again, maybe not initially, not in the moment, but it will be down the road. Okay, well, let's go through really quickly, reflect, focus, do. Think about your communication. Reflect on this statement. Respect begets respect. In what areas of your communication do you need to improve? How are you doing with respect? Think about that. Maybe even write it out. Maybe journal it out. Maybe there's a good journal prompts. Step two, focus. What does your ideal type, level, kind of communication look like? Like, what does this look like to you? Like maybe actually close your eyes and think about your five senses and picture yourself communicating well with whoever, your partner, your child, your coworker, your superior, whoever it is. Imagine what that feels like. Because if you can plant the seed by imagining what it feels like and, and envisioning it, way more likely to come true and be a reality for you. And do. What needs to happen for you to bring about better communication. What's one step you can take today? Maybe list out these things and put them somewhere where you can actually take that step into action and then do it. That takes us to today's listener question, which is supporting others to consider alternative reasons for a child's behavior. So people that just aren't understanding what's underneath the child's behavior. The first thing I would do is teach them about the five needs areas and explain that each behavior is communicating an unmet need and we need to figure out what the need is. If you don't know what that is, or they don't know what that is, I have blog, blog posts and podcasts on this, lots and lots of podcasts on the five needs. So go back, see that, read that, watch that, that will help you. Two, 
is once you've defined the need, agree together on an intervention, a, a strategy, a technique that meets that need. If you can explain the five needs and kind of the science behind that, almost no one can refute that. There, it's just like impossible to refute. And then once you get them on that page, it's easy to get them to come up with an intervention because it makes a lot of sense. And once you see the success with the intervention, they're on board, they're hooked. So that's what I'd recommend. To wrap up the show, I'm going to share with you our try-at-home tip, which is going outside first thing in the morning. I do this even when it's really cold, maybe not as long. And I take the baby out first thing in the morning, we go for a walk, go for a run, bike ride, depends on how cold it is. But we will always go out for a little bit. And I might be bundling him up, but we are going out and getting some fresh air because it wakes up your system, gets the oxygen pumping through your blood, gets your blood moving, gets oxygen to your brain, wakes you up, helps you to feel better. And that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Don't forget our try at home tip, which is get outside in the morning, no matter the weather. And if you are looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, or the brain, please call me, please text me, please email me. I love, love, love to support that journey, whether it's a, a family system or it's a school system. But that is why I created the Behavior Hub to support schools and families through coaching. Do have some training programs and some courses. You can get university credit, but the coaching program, baby, that's what that's what gets it gets it done, gets it done fast. You want to learn more about any of that? Happy to have a conversation. Find me on the Behavior Hub website or shoot me a text 717-693-7744. And if you are part of an organization where you're like, mm, company culture is not great, and I feel a bit burnt out and stressed and overwhelmed. Partner and I, Jessica Dewing, business partner, created the five Ives. This works on basically burnout prevention and trauma-informed care and training and support and coaching. It's an amazing platform that helps organizations quickly and efficiently and effectively get to like a happy culture where people aren't leaving their jobs and don't feel stressed out, burned out. I mean, everyone feels a little bit of stress, but stressed out to where they're quitting their jobs. And she's an immaculate human being who has a depth of knowledge that is just beyond this world. So fiveives.com, like F-I-V-E-I-V-E-S.com. Don't forget to lock in what you learned today by sharing it with someone else or sending this episode to someone else so that they can hear it and apply it themselves. And I look forward to uh, hearing how, how it goes. Until next episode, I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.